Well, good morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 7 this morning. As we continue to work through Psalms, a couple of things just to remind you of. We've got uh, Michael works real hard to get all our information. It goes out a couple different ways. One of them is in the info guide. One of them is on an email that you should be getting. Uh, got a game night coming up that we had a really good time last time as well as summer camp. And uh, should begin to hear a little bit of summer camp because I'm going to preach it. And so I'm already preparing and, and thinking through that. And you'll even hear it in the message this morning. So Psalm 7, stand with us to our feet as we, in honor of God's word, as we hear from the Lord this morning. Beginning in verse 1. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest a lion, like a, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friends with evil or plundered my enemies without cause, let the enemies pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and the hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil. And is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praises to the name of the Lord the Most High. Lord, as we bow in reverence before your word, there is some sobering words here. There are some sobering realities of what it means for our Lord and our God to be our refuge and strength. And so, Lord, help us to see these things and not only be sobered by them, but be comforted by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You can be seated. So refuge is a common theme in, in the Psalms. We're going to see it over and over again. But what does the judge have to do with it? The refuge and the judge. You ever think about the fact that God as a judge is part of our safety and security? Here's a question that came up this week. Comes up probably about every week now in the world we live in. How can God allow such evil and such wicked things to happen to his people? Or often we hear, how can God allow such evil to happen to good people? Last Sunday in Bessemer City, a man who many knew and loved drove his vehicle into a restaurant killing members of his own family. You follow our own Southern Baptist Convention. You see we have sin in our own camp that we've been having to deal with. School shootings almost every week. And so we ask these questions. Here's the truth this morning that I want you to see from God's Word. They will stand before the righteous judge and he will not err in his judgment. The Lord will do what is right. That is a truth that both should sober us and comfort us. David knew something about suffering. He knew something about needing refuge. It's the context of this is a particular situation in the life of David. Most people think that it's 2 Samuel 16 when David was running from Absalom. He runs into a former follower of Saul, Shimei, and he starts kicking dust on him and cursing him, throwing rocks at him. Most people think what's going on there is this man Cush that we see in the beginning of this psalm. Is this Shimei, and he's accusing David of treason against Saul, trying to take the kingdom from him. This is the slander that's being waged against David, the reason that he writes this. Spurgeon says, If God was slandered in Eden, we shall surely be maligned in the land of sinners. And that's true. The Bible tells us to expect it. The more progress we make, the closer we get to the realm of darkness, the more we can expect it. But our focus today, as much as I would like to focus on David and his integrity, because this is a part of that, big part of it. I just want to focus on the judge today. There's plenty of psalms coming and we'll pick that up later. But you see for David this is the main point. Was not at the end of the day his integrity that was important. We'll talk about that. It was the Lord that was the source of his refuge and deliverance in the midst of slander. So we see, look at verse 1. We see both a confident yet a cautious plea. Every one of these psalms, we begin to see this prayer being a regular part of David's life and worship. He says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. This is, and we've been talking about this, O Lord my God, this covenant language. David's speaking to a covenant God as him a covenant people. This is both 
personal, it's intimate, it's dependent. And so what he's doing in this psalm is he's coming to this covenant God as a judge and he's laying his case before him. This is the situation, Lord. I'm just laying it before you. But make sure you don't miss. He didn't start being his refuge in the situation. He was already his refuge. He was already. You can't wait till you get in the fire and start trying to find it somewhere. This was, a, this was a covenant walk. This was a covenant relationship. He was his refuge. And so he says, I take refuge in you. Who else do I have? This was his confidence. His covenant God was also his father. The father, the judge. And there were those that were attacking him. A real danger. Look at verse 2. Real danger. Lest the lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. David knew something about lions, right? He was a shepherd, had to defend his sheep. He knew something about wild animals trying to attack his own. But when we hear a lion, we ought to think of a passage of Scripture over in 1 Peter. If you want to turn there, 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a what? A lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood, Throughout the world. After you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace. Who has called you to his eternal glory. In Christ will himself. Restore. Confirm. Strengthen. And establish you to him. Be dominion forever and ever. So here's the question. If the devil is like a lion. What is God like? And here's my fear, that we, that we think that Jesus is somehow up on a cloud playing a harp with a lamb in his lap. This is not the picture. In the Bible, this is not an Old Testament God, a New Testament God. There's only the God of the covenant that is fulfilled in Christ. And he is not a little meek mouth. He is a resurrected judge in this passage, and he's someone... Like C.S. Lewis said, remember, Aslan, not a tame lion. Not a tame lion. So it is he who calls you that will rescue. It is he who calls you who strengthens you. This is David's confidence as ours, and yet, look at verse 3 to 5. There's a cautious here. There's some humility in his plea. It's a good way to approach God. Confidently, yet humbly. There's some ifs. Notice the ifs in verses between 3 and 5. If I have done this, so there's an accusation. He says, if I have done this, if there's wrong in my hands, if I have repaid, if I plundered, then let them overtake me, God. So make no mistake, he's saying, as far as it is from me, I'm innocent of this accusation. I've I've done nothing wrong, but maybe I'm wrong. So what I'm doing, I'm laying my case before the righteous judge 
God, if there's anything in me. Now, if this is true, we can remember 1 Samuel 24. David's running. Saul's trying to kill him. Remember, God's already gave the kingship to David. But yet Saul's still king and he's trying to kill him. And remember, there was a cave. There was that cave incident where Saul's sleeping and sneaks up on him. Could have killed him. Didn't. Happened a couple times. Even from Saul's lips, remember, he confesses David's innocence. So the point is this. David has went back in his own heart and he searched. He said, Lord, as far as, as far as it is to me, I never tried to take the kingdom. I never. I didn't have to. You already gave it to me. I, I'm innocent of this. We call this in church leadership. I have lived above reproach. But here we see that even when God's people live above reproach, it will not necessarily keep you from being slandered. Didn't David? He's still saying, I'm innocent. So he, he's willing to do two things. He's willing to test his own motives, and he's willing for God to test him. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12 speaks of us as Christians living with a good conscience. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12 says, For our boast is in this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. 1 John 3.21, same thing, says, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So it wasn't. Simply, it was primarily in his confidence, in his covenant-keeping God. But there was also a confidence in that that he was walking in his own integrity. He was willing to test himself to make sure that his motives were pure, that he didn't have a sinful attitude. He's not claiming some kind of cross-the-board perfection here. He's not. He's saying, I am innocent in this situation. But he also prays, look, test me. Test me. Humbly. You see, humility doesn't mean that I'm supposed to acknowledge something that's not true when someone wages. I'm not supposed to do that. But it does mean uh, humility demands that I judge myself not based under the truth or over the truth, but by the truth. I'm willing to take that look of myself. Is there any truth to this? And at the same time, remember the story in David's life. He, he never takes vengeance. When Shimei is kicking the, kicking the dirt and throwing the rocks, Someone says, let me, let me stick him. <laughs> I, I'm, I'll get him for you. He has no right to say that. Says, Remember what David said? Leave him alone. Maybe he's right. God knows. Listen to this. This is important. It is better to maintain integrity and continue to suffer injustice than to sell out to the evil and form ranks with the unrighteous. Let me say that again. This is important to how we apply our Christian life. It is better to maintain integrity and continue to suffer injustice than to sell out to evil and form ranks with the unrighteous. You want to study this a little bit deeper about how we should live in light of other Christians. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 and read the first section where people within the church were suing each other. He says, better to be defrauded than to do such things. So where do I run when life gets hard? To the world or to God? 
to the world or to his church. And so, what are we supposed to do when we get slandered? Well, it's more importantly here for David is what we know. What am I supposed to do? We all want to do something. I want to write this thing. He says, we need to know this. The Lord's righteous judgment is sure. It's certain. And so I want you to see two things. His judgment is both righteous and it's certain. This is what he knows. And so he has prayed this prayer. And then he pauses. That's the sailor. He pauses confidently, cautiously. Lord, here's my case. And all of a sudden, he's, he, he comes up in verse 6. Arise. The next line, lift yourself up. The next line, awake for me. There's this renewed prayer of faith. There's faith here. There's confidence. What is he saying? He's saying, be provoked. God, I've laid my case before you. I'm innocent. They are not. Lord, awake for justice. The Lord tells a parable. Luke 18, there's a parable. You remember, it's the parable of the persistent widow. And there is, the story is a contrasting parable. It's meant to teach us by contrast that this widow was being done unjustly, and so she goes to the, this unjust judge. In other words, he doesn't really care what's happening to her, but she just keeps on. Keeps it coming. Keeps it knocking. It's me again. It's me again. It's me again. And he finally gives her justice, remember? Here's, what, here's the point. Luke 18, look at verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect, whom cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? See, the issue is not if. There's not a, simply a possibility of justice. This is a promised reality based off God's character. The issue is our faith in Him. The question of justice is simply a matter of when. It's going to happen. So not only is there this renewed faith but there, look at verse end of verse 6. He has confidence because there's an appointed a judgment. It's appointed. The New Testament speaks to this. Acts 17, verse 30, speaks of this appointed judgment. So you should be getting now in this second section. You should be getting this picture of something that's happening, this judgment that's coming about. Acts 17, verse 30. The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he has commanded all people everywhere to repent. Why? Verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And, an, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so we have some fixed things here, don't we? We have a day that's fixed. And we have a judge that's already been appointed. It's there. How do we know? The resurrection has told us who the judge is. His name is Jesus. He ha we have an appointed day, an appointed judge. And here's the confidence. Look at verse 9. The Lord's going to judge. There's two certainties to this judgment. 
that there are two situations, two peoples. There is the righteous and there's the wicked. There's no one in between. There's the righteous, there's the wicked, and there's two certainties of the outcome. Let the evil, look at verse 9. Oh, let the evil wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. So as you see the two certainties, there's one. One's going to be established. That means settled, firm, fixed, permanent. So we're going to look at Revelation in a minute, where there's going to be books, plural, and there's going to be book, singular. They're permanence when your name is in the book. You hear it say there's another end. And one, the other is the wicked is going to come to an end. They will be destroyed. How can he say this? How do we know that the judge is going to make a righteous judgment? Well, it tells us. It says he's the one who tests the minds and the hearts. Hebrews 4.13, remember? No creature is hidden from his sight, but all who are, are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. There's a we there. The writer of Hebrews is a believer. And he's including himself into this that says, God is omniscient. He is not learning about your situation. He knows it better than you do. He has all ability to know all things and knows the motives and the thoughts of all peoples. And so he will make a righteous judgment where our hearts, our motivations, the way we think that nobody knows is naked, is clear, is visible to him. So do you see the picture? This is what Psalms is painting us. It's painting us a picture of a, of a child, a covenant child that comes with his case and he lays it before the judge and he says, I'm innocent from, of all that I can tell in myself, but Lord, you be the judge and you judge between the two. If they are right, judge me, but if they are wrong, judge them. The picture here is, is God coming out of his chambers and sitting on his throne of judgment. And when he judges, it is both sobering and it is both comforting. At the same time. So let's skip down to verse 12. I want you to see first the judgment of the wicked. Even in verse 12, there's mercy. Do you know that warning someone is merciful? God doesn't have to do that. We don't deserve this warning, but we have it. If a man does not repent... God will wet. He will sharpen his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. He's dipped his arrows in pitch. Has his bow bent. But here's the, here's the good news. Here's time to repent. And here's the reality. David has said, Lord, judge me by my integrity, by my righteousness. I am innocent of this situation, and the wicked will be judged because of their character. Look at verse 14. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. There's a very graphic picture of a woman that's with child. She's full term. She's about to give birth. That's the picture. This wicked person is full, is pregnant. With mischief, remember the devil is the father of lies. So what does the wicked give birth to? Saying lying and slander. In other words, if lying and slander is a part of your life, that's the fruit that the wicked bear. 
They, they are like a woman that gives birth. She's going to give birth to her heir. The heir is lying. That's the end. The fruit brings the end. Verse 15 and 16. You see, the lying and the slandering is for a means. The deception, I'm going to dig a pit. They're going to fall in the pit. Then I get. That's, the, that's their agenda. God says, no. Remember, he's already said this in the other previous Psalms. This is all futility. Because I'm going to make sure in the end that they fall in the same pit they dug for the righteous. This is why we need to understand this about God. He has all knowledge of all things. We cannot sneak one around on God's people because we can't sneak one around on God. The result is they fall in the pit that they dig. So this is important. So we just need to stop, especially as we speak to our friends, as we get this question. Where's God? You see, what's comforting David here? As God's people are persecuted and slandered. God's not been sleeping. Well, what does it say he's been doing? He's been sharpening his sword. That's what he's been doing. On the revolving stone of the wicked. And if they do not repent, he will cut them to pieces. That's what the text is saying. It's saying that God has his bow bent with a fiery arrow on it, and he never misses his mark. And if they do not repent, they will perish. Revelation teaches this all through it. Turn with me to Revelation 20. This is the passage where I want you to know, notice something, that there is a book, and there are books. A singular book, in the plural books. Revelation 20. Look at verse 11. This is the picture we need to have in our minds as we read Psalm 7 about God coming out and sitting on his throne to judge and all the peoples. Listen. John's just telling you what he saw. Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is not a possibility. This is a certainty. That if your name has not been fixed, if it has not been established in the book of life by faith in Jesus Christ, on that day the books will be open and you will give an account for every single thing that has been written down. This is what those who are slandering against us, this is what gives David comfort. That that which is done to him is not just swept under the rug. His Father, his God, takes notice. And so when we read these things, we say, is God trying to scare me? Yes, he's trying to. This is an act of love today. 
And I'm sorry that many churches have used hell to try to motivate Christians. You don't have to use hell to motivate Christians. But you better warn those who have not repented. This is their end. It is not a possibility. It is a certainty. Summer camp begins with our students by this reality. Our God is a warrior. He's a warrior. And He's coming back. And when He comes back, He will have a sword in His hand. Revelation 6 verse 15, or not in your notes, says one day the most powerful rulers in the world will cry out for rocks to crush their brains to save them from the wrath of the Lamb. Hebrews 10 says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This is sobering, but this is comforting. This is mercy that we have heard this today. So yes, the judgment of God is sobering. It's certain, but the comfort of the righteous is good. Go back up to verse 10. You see, all of this that we've talked about, that David is singing about, he sees his comfort. My shield is with God. Look at verse 10. Who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. A God who feels indignation every day. So he's saying this slander that's really hurting me. God sees it. He takes notice of it. He's not passive to it. This gives me comfort. Two things we see in verse 10 or 11. He clears the guiltless and he protects the righteous. He clears them. Remember, he's the judge. He protects them. It's not just he says, okay, you're free. Be careful. (laughs) Be careful. It's it's tough out there. No, he says, he's my shield. We do not need to fear the judge if we have taken refuge in his grace. If we have not taken refuge in his grace, we we must take heed and repent. And so this is the question as we get to the end. What is this... Psalm done in here. Because it's done something. As it's both sobering and comforting, it should be. Even to God's people, it should be sobering, this message. It should be comforting. It should propel us to mission, to evangelism. But if there is a dread in our soul this morning, then the Bible calls us to repent and put our faith in Christ. Because, listen, this is the truth this morning. We are all headed towards a judgment. This is the clarity of God's word. But I want you to see, turn with me to Romans 3. So many different passages we could go to. I just want you to see this. If you are in Christ this morning, that that we are headed towards a judgment should not only comfort you, it should excite you. You see, because my hope ultimately, isn't something in here. It is a righteousness that is alien. It is foreign to me. Romans 3.21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Here's the truth. There's no distinction. All have sinned. 
and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24, therefore all are justified. They are declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is our ultimate hope. Not something that I have done or not done, but simply that I have put my hope, my faith, my trust in what Christ has done. And so the judgment for me is a day when I get to meet my father and my brother and be judged, covered with the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good day. It's, listen, it's not just a day that God's going to say, not guilty. No. It's a day where God's going to say, righteous. Righteous. We're going to be then rewarded for the things we have done in this life for His glory alone, and we will cast our rewards at His feet. Our reward will be closeness and intimacy and presence and service and worship. It's a good day for us. Mike is about to sing. He wrote a song about this. I want you to see, before we stand up and sing, I want you to understand how this applies to us in the life of our church. As God's people, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So yes, we need to remember, we must walk in our own integrity. Our yes should be yes. Our no should be no. When people sling those lies at us, they should be very hard to stick because of the way we live our life. But that does not mean that we will not be slandered or persecuted. Matter of fact, the more we do, it guarantees that we will. It's the truth. Look at verse 4. Sets the context. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the inflictions that you are enduring. So the, the context is the church. Paul's writing to Christians, the church. And what are they facing? Look persecutions and affliction. This seems to be like a normal part of our life. It was to theirs. And they're enduring it. Look what he calls it in verse 5 now. He calls it evidence. Our suffering, the hard, the unfair, the attacks, is evidence that justice is coming. Look what it says. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. This is good. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Look at verse 6. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And, verse 7, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So what does God consider just? For those who afflict me, to afflict them. That's what he says. He is the one who repays, not me. I don't have to carry it. Not one day, not one second. I forgive as I've been forgiven, but this I know. God considers it just to repay with affliction and to grant me relief. Well, when? Like tomorrow. <laughs> He tells us when. 
Look, verse 7, after the comma, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, that's the win. Yes, God is just. God's going to repay. He's going to give relief. When? When the Lord Jesus comes back. What's it going to look like? Verse 8. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of God. The Bible always connects together those who are hurting his people and those who know him. Doesn't matter whether you're a church member or not. If you make it a habit of attacking God's people, you are an enemy of God. God says, it's clear what's coming. Verse 9, they will suffer eternal destruction. Where? Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. When the Bible uses presence, it's talking about grace. It's talking about mercy. So what is hell? It's waiting for the wicked in hell. The just wrath of a holy God is waiting for them in hell. They did not want grace and mercy in this life. And so they will not get it in the next. This is the reality. This that comforts the saints should scare the lost to death. Because this is reality. But listen, our comfort is in verse 10. Look. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at amongst those who have believed. He's going to be glorified. How? In you. This is good news. Because to be glorified for me, praise the Lord, he's going to get this sin out of here. No more sin. No more stumbling. Not just no more Pain that's coming to me from other people. No more pain than I'm giving to other people either. I'm going to have the ability for God to be glorified in me fully, completely. And that is the comfort and the greatest hope of those who believe. And so, we go back to Psalm 7. Look at verse 17. This is why he ends it this way. That those who know this about God, that for God to be your refuge means that those who are attacking you and hurting you will give an account to God for it and I do not have to worry myself and ruin my life with bitterness and hatred because my God will do what is right. And so I'm free to do what? what he says. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness and I will sing praises to the name of the Lord, the Most High. This is good news this morning. Payback? No. God's, that's in God's hands. Vengeance? You ever, you ever went on Netflix and noticed how many movies is vengeance? Almost all of them. God says, yes, vengeance is a real thing. It's not yours. There is a sword of wrath. Don't give it to you. This is your sword. This is your sword. And he says we ought to sharpen it. We ought to sharpen it with each other. Awfully hard to sharpen this big sword by yourself. You sharpen it with each other. And we sharpen as we do. We give praise to our Lord. And so, Lord, now we...
we come to you now and we just want to stand and sing this song that just reflects that day. The day of the Lord, the day when the Lord returns and when he gathers all peoples around his judgment throne and to do what is right. And Lord, when we think of that day, though it is sobering, it is comforting. Because on that day, once and for all, the sin, the residual sin that still lives in our minds, in our wills, in our emotions will be gone. Our bodies will be resurrected from their graves, glorified to meet our souls, and with all of it, we will make much of you, Lord. We long for that day. And yet, Lord, as we pause this moment, we acknowledge with, with the great, even anxiety, Lord, that many of the wicked that is speaking about in this text are, are our friends. They're our family. We love them. We don't want this to them. We don't want them to have to face your wrath, and so, Lord, will you show them mercy. Mercy, Lord, like you've shown us. Will you show it to them, Lord? Will you use your Holy Spirit, Lord, even now, someone in this room and call them to salvation, Lord? If even now those that aren't here, would you work in their life, would you have mercy on them so they could be saved and be comforted by these truths? Lord, now receive our worship as we remember a day when we will be made whole. And let us live in light of that day. In Jesus' name, let's stand and sing together.